qu'il y a eu qui n'étaient pas. Cleave to that which is good. E nā mana e nā reo, he mihi tēnei ki a koutou e are tārina mai ana ki tēnei hōtaka a Te Ahi Kā. I'm Mariah Rakuraku. And I'm Justine Murray, and this is Te Ahi Kā on Radio New Zealand National. Theatre belongs to the people. It's not necessarily something that is stuck behind this beautiful, ornately um, built theatre building that only the rich and well-heeled can afford to go to. Theatre is something that people can use to get through their mamai or or relive their whakapapa or talk to their tūpuna or, and get learning from that. Uh, a, a lot of um, European physical theatre um, companies will also work together almost like a, say, maybe in a community or, or a commune-like existence. And we do that here too. It's called Fano. In a few moments, Helen Pierce Otene and Jim Moriarty of Te Rākaupua o Waotapu Trust. Trinity Fox will be joining the thousands of freshers starting university for the first time next year, and thanks to a scholarship, the financial burden will be eased somewhat. I visit her at Hukarere Girls College in Hawke's Bay. My principal sent me down in the office and I was getting a bit scared because I thought I was in trouble, and then she came in and said, congratulations. And I was still shocked. I didn't know what she was talking about. I was like, Miss, what's going on? And then she was like, oh, babe, you got the scholarship. I was like, the Auckland one? And she's like, yeah, you got it. Congratulations. I'm like almost crying, getting a bit teary. Trinity Fox coming up later on in Te Ahika, along with an impromptu performance from Hukarere of the Waiata Kotsiro Māori E. For the past three days, Pokiteraki Marai Karitane has hosted the annual Hui A Iwi for the people of Kaitahu. We visit earlier in the week as preparations are being made for a hākari for well over a thousand people. One of our local delicacies that we love um, putting on the tables is tuaki, um, cockles, and uh, so they'll be um, one of the kais that are going to appear this time in, um, we're serving them in poha in the kelp bags, lots of lovely fish and tuna. Um, we've got going to feature other wild foods too, like uh, pork. Kuiranga kaupapa e heke mai nei. That's what's in store in this edition of Te Ahika. Yeah! The plays put out by Te Rākauhua o Te Waotapu Trust are often pretty adventurous in style and subject matter, but it's not so much the product as the process which marks this company out from others in the contemporary drama scene. That's because Te Rākau often create work with troubled young people who have been involved with the law or the social welfare system. That's certainly the case with their current production, The Ragged. Manalaya talks with husband and wife team Jim Moriarty and Helen Pierce Ortinet, they run Terako, about how this work involves their own children. The way that our programme works, we work on the Fano, and it is all about being a Fano. And for our for our kids, it's been awesome for them to become part of the Fano as Tamariki, and so they all of a sudden they have these cousins, they have these brothers, <laughs> they have some playmates, you know. Um, and it's been awesome. It's awesome for them to know that they are part of something bigger as well. We also want them to grow up knowing that they can affect other people, that they can help other people. My children are very, very, very lucky, and I want them to know that. They've been given the best of both worlds. They have a roof over their head. They have three square meals a day. They have education. They have connection to their whānau and their whakapapa. They need to know that it's not like that for all, um, for all of our Māori tamariki out there, and so for them to be involved in this sort of work at an early age so it's normal for them. Um, I would be really proud if they turn out to be doctors or um, advocates um, social workers, which is a very, very hard job, teachers, or, or they turn out to be amazing parents and they grow their children up as best as they can. What are the kids doing right now? What's happening right oh, now? We Can just you had, describe we just what's had happening a cry. Right We just had tea and they, um, they've been rehearsing the physical elements of the theatre all afternoon. Now they're having tea and they're cleaning up. And then after tea they're going to do selected scenes with Alan, who's the co-director. Um, 
supported by the two choreographers, Ta'i and Kiriyama, and they look after different aspects of the physical, very physical piece, this. And um, I'm just off to try and finish with uh, the carpenters and um, our production manager the uh, installation of the lights and the set in the theatre over at St Pat's College. We're playing at uh, St Pat's. They've got a theatre there. It's about 170 people. Nice. Wellington don't know about it, but they're going to know about it after this one. It's a gorgeous little space. So this is our production week, so a lot of things coming together. You know, we're into the old, what you call, the bottleneck. Uh, the time we've got left is the time we've got left, that's all. But um, it's, um, it's exciting. You know, there's uh, 35 people on stage in this production. Not often Mighty Theatre gets to have that many people representing you know what, though, its perspectives. And most of the um, productions that you're all Tarako or wild topic, what most of the mahi that you do yeah. does seem to be big, big production. Oh yeah, we want to, we want to do big because it's um, you know, you, you look at it, it's Helen wrote it, she's Māori, Ngāpuhi uh, Kahungunu. Um, our people who manage our dollars are Māori. Um, half our board's Māori, all the key creatives in the organisation are Māori. I love that, I love working with Māori um, so we're there at the at the at the end of uh, you know creating the idea, the conception, right through to the realization and the production. So here I am, painting and driving nails and screws in as well. I like that. That way, like Barry Barclay and Don Selwyn and all those ones who have gone before us, bless them, used to say, um, if we want to tell our stories, we have to have control over the telling of those stories. You know, otherwise. Too many other people get hold of them, and it's not quite... Uh, they might have good intentions, but there's nothing like telling it from the informed heart, hey, from under the skin of Māori and being Māori. So I'm very grateful that Creative New Zealand gave us some funding to put this baby together, Te Waka Toy in particular, so that we can... Um, it's the first play of a series of a half a dozen plays about migration. About, so what sort of migration are you talking oh, about? Oh, we're talking about uh, 1840 Aotearoa. Um, about a little whānau on the south coast of Wellington, around at Ofero Bay, and the significance of kupe and, and uh, you know, all those elements that you might imagine existed then. Um, the New Zealand company trying to acquire land uh, that they'd promised settlers for sale, settlers who go, where's the land? The church. The church uh, coming here and going, oh, we must end cannibalism. How about you eat? the body and blood of Jesus Christ and we'll substitute cannibalism for that you know all sorts of stuff um, all those key players but ultimately um, the beginning of a journey for Helen and I at, at, you know having to go back to come forward and I want to do it you know in the next whatever time I've got on, left on, this, on the planet in this flesh and blood form I want to answer those questions really why the whole thing of where did it start what does it look like now? Where do we go to in the future? And you actually have to go backwards to come forwards to do that, which is a pretty mighty way of doing things anyway. Acknowledging our tupu and our whakapapa, all those things. Um, but the other thing about it too is, and I don't know that it's changed that much because I've still got young kids and, uh, you know, they're in mainstream education systems. Our primary and secondary and intermediate, unless it's mighty, they don't tell the truth about history. You know, still our, our education, unless you, when, until you go to tertiary or university, for mainstream New Zealanders, they're, they're getting a watered-down version of what the history was like. So we want to go back and wrestle with that in as complete a way as we can and look at all those dynamics that have added to, and, and this is where it's really interesting for me because um, we're still working all our rangatahi. You know, the other thing that we are besides a Māori theatre company is a national bed night provided to children and young persons, so we look after 10 and risk mighty boys, and our, my single aim and our trust single aim is to prevent them from going to prison to the Whareheri area because, you know, we're only 14% of the national population, but we make up 60% of that population, of that subculture. Not good. What are we going to do about it? Build more prisons? Build Māori prisons? Turn them away from that as an outcome in their lives now. So that, to me, is just as important as the play. You know, our people have been getting locked up forever. We want to stop that locking up process so you have to free them up inside themselves. Because the world aren't going to change that much for, what are we of the national world population? Maybe 0.0002% of the total world population, Māori? 
We don't take care of it. We're going to be extinct, eh? They talk about our language being extinct. Mate, we've got to marry each other. Cuz you're married on Yeah, I'm married too. It's all right. We're building sets. We're busily trying to um, sew up costumes and get props ready. And um, Behind you there's a few, um, they look like snot green um, uh, lycra leotards that our boys are going to wear <laughs> and they're going to look great. <laughs> um, but, um, yeah, we... It's a lot of um, lot of mahi. We're doing long hours. We work, we work like your basic theatre company. It's just that we also happen to live together, um, eat together, have dramas together on and off the floor, and we work through our we work through our stuff together. Um, you know, the, and it's not something that's fully owned by Māori people all over the world. Um, in, in theatre, will live together and be together. Theatre belongs to the people. It's not necessarily something that is stuck behind this beautiful, ornately um, built theatre building that only the rich and well-heeled can afford to go to. Theatre is something that people can use to get through their mamai or or relive their whakapapa or talk to their tūpuna or, and get learning from that. Uh, a, a lot of um, European physical theatre um, companies will also work together almost like a, say maybe in a community or, or a commune-like existence and we do that here too, it's called Fano, and we base everything on um, well the cornerstones really, Whanaungatanga Manakitanga and Aroha we put that into our theatrical work and our programme and also in how we communicate and work with each other and how we how we do our therapy and our day-to-day living with the rangatahi who live with us. Now, this is the only programme that operates like this for Māori in Aotearoa. I think we're the only... Um, well, we're a theatre and education company, and Te Rako was established in 1989, so it's over 20 years old. And I think, I believe we're the only company uh, that works using this sort of dynamic with young people. Um, you know, there are there are lots of organisations and companies all over New Zealand who might take on young people like um, and do things like outdoors, bushcraft, farming and things like that. But I think we're the only ones that use theatre as, as our main activity in the programme. Unusual, because the actors are also clients. I suppose so, but I guess where we come from, we're Māori and we're kinesthetic people, you know. We learn and we express by doing and being. And I think for a lot of young people... I think I remember what uh, reading it just recently. There was a study that came out um, that said that the education system does have to look at the way that we learn or the way that we teach in our schools. That a lot of young people who are falling through the cracks of cracks of mainstream education are ones who are more kinesthetically, you know, minded in their learning. They might not be able to read very well or, or, or write very well, but I bet they can express themselves through their hands. And for a lot of our young people, they do whether it might be tagging, whether it might be, mm-hmm. um, um, you know, creating some awesome song using three chords in the guitar. They don't know what those chords are, but they know how to play them. You know, who can dance like Michael Jackson or, or whoever because they've watched it on a DVD over and over again. You know, these are the type of young people who, um, who might also, like, smash someone over because they're angry because um, they weren't able to say what their truth is they might be able to act it out. These are the young people that we like working with and who invariably come to Te Rako. Now, the plays that I've seen presented by Te Rako in the past have all been written by you. Yeah. Are you informed by the kids that you're meeting through this programme or is the work coming to you, is, is yeah. the work just sitting there and it comes through or is it informed by the kids that you're working with yeah. every day? Um, I, I, think it's, I think it comes through a couple of streams. One is, um, one is I, I do get informed by what happens on a day-to-day basis and we also work with the young people where we'll do self-devised pieces where we'll teach them how to write their own stories and to stand them up and do them. Um, and then there are other times when we might actually look at, say for example with this play it's about well, it's set within the settlement of Wellington, and we use that as a um, almost as a bit of education and history for our young people who know nothing about um, about how this city 
was made, and, and actually that would be true for a lot of us. Um, and I don't want to get too airy-fairy, I suppose, but sometimes I just sit down and um, just stuff just comes through the back of my head. I just hear, there are voices. I might be sitting in a cafe and then all of a sudden this line or something will come up and I'll have to grab a napkin and write it down and I'll it's put it like away for It's like the writer's later. curse. It is. Uh, yeah, I hold on to my stuff. So I've got like bits of, you know, tickets and yep. um, napkins and all over Cigarette the place. Paper, yeah, 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 I'm very, very messy and I, you know, that's... Yeah, I've got a pile of that. I just remember um, this wonderful, wonderful actress, um, creative person, Kate Harcourt. I remember her saying once, kill your babies. And when I was young and I heard that, I thought, no, why would I kill my babies? My babies. My babies. Are, Absol- it's gold. Absolutely. What she was meaning, though, at the time was... If there's a line in the play and it's barking like a dog and even if it's the most important line and you pulled it from the very depths of your soul, if it doesn't work for that play, mm-hmm. take it out. Don't be afraid to take it out. And um, But maybe instead of chucking it out or killing it, it's hold on to it yeah. for, for the next else. one, eh? For the next one. So, yeah, I, I definitely do that. So, yeah, I have notes and that all over the place. Um, and yet... If, if, if the inspiration or the muses or the tupuna or anyone's voices comes or a character pops up in my head, then, yeah, I, I just I write that idea down and I just save it. I just keep it and keep it. Now, the settlement of Wellington, mm. in Aotearoa, Jim mentioned it earlier, there's the history of New Zealand and then there's the true history of New mm-hmm. Zealand. Could you explain that? I think this is the thing with our education system. Um, when I was studying, I mean, I remember being in, I think it was seventh form, and I knew nothing about the history of New Zealand, nothing at all, except for um, we went and wasted the Moriori. The other thing that I learnt too was like all the different families of the of the English, you know, crown. So those were the main things that I learnt in seventh form history. I learnt pretty much nothing about where I came from, or you know, about here. And, you know, to be able to learn about your own history or the history of Aotearoa, you had to go and get a student loan and go to university and, you know, and start start studying, really. Start studying something that belongs to us all. Um, so that then gives us a really good opportunity to be looking at at our history and, and, and everyone's stories. Māori, Pākehā, Tauiwi, everyone who's come here and put their footprints on these shores have a right to say their story and a right to put it out there and a right to be heard and a right for people to say no I don't agree with that and also a right to to hear yeah that's what happened for us too. Um, Theatre is an opportunity to be able to express that and put out um, one part of the story and in a safe way and hopefully an accessible and entertaining way hopefully. Some might say though eh Helen that theatre is only as successful as the quality of writing though. Yep, I hope they're wrong. Oh, no, no. <laughs> um, I, I don't know. Um, yet the spoken word is really important. We've, I'm so lucky that um, I have a director who I can trust with my words. I'm really, really fortunate. I can write a piece and I can give it over to him and I can truly step back to the point where, you know, because we do everything around here, we clean the toilets, mm-hmm. we, you know, we do all sorts, we'll, we'll act, we'll will do everything, I'll end up being put into the show as an actress and then I can actually start fighting the director for on behalf of my character and even start delving or investigating the character, you know, totally apart from being the writer. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm really lucky to be given that, um, the opportunity to do that. Jim's a great director that I, that I absolutely trust. Um, there's Alan Scott who is also co-directing and who also comes on as a dramaturg and he loves the English language, which is good because he's English, but he um, he really ensures that we, um, we analyse our text, that we um, colour our text, um, that we... You know, he even challenges me about what I've written. You know, he says, is this really what you want your character to do? Is this really how you want it to be? Um, okay, if we're going to do that, then maybe could you look at maybe doing it this way, perhaps? Mm. You know, um, I'm really lucky to have these people around me, where I can let go of my baby and actually look at it through other lenses. Um, 
I would like to think that um, you need a really, really good text, strong text for theatre, but I also love mime and I love, I love theatre where... I, I love dance. I see that as a form of storytelling in theatre. Um, but, yeah, I hope, I hope we still keep having a job, eh, Cuddy? Like, being able to put the words out there because, um, yeah, I, I love writing. I love... Um, the more I do it, hopefully I get better at it. Um, but the more I do it, the more I realise just how much I, I love I love writing for theatre. I love writing for people. I love creating characters um, and seeing an actor or an actress build them up in front of my eyes and take them somewhere where I hadn't even thought of. I love seeing that. I don't get a... Um, I don't get a power trip off it. I just love the fact that this has happened in front of me and that I might have had some part in it. Yeah, I'm, and I'm, I feel very blessed, very, very lucky um, as an actress and as a writer to be able to do this here. Kia ora, Helen Pierce Otene and you heard earlier from Jim Moriarty. They were discussing the current production of the theatre group Te Rakaua or Wild Tapu Trust. The Ragged plays until the 9th of December. For details of the event, head to our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash te ahika. That's T-E-A-H-I-K-A-A. Hukariri Girls College was set up in 1875 by three sisters, Maria, Kate and Marianne Williams, who established a school at their homestead on Hukariri Road on the Napier Hill. Now nestled within the idyllic Estale Valley just out of Napier, while Hukariri has undergone a number of shifts in location, what's remained consistent is that they've provided education for Māori girls since then. Hook girls, as they're nicknamed, are everywhere. Many of them, like Professor Cooney Jenkins and Linda Waimarie Nikora, have gone on to make a mark within Te Ao Māori and the wider world. Among the current generation of Hukurere College student leaders is Trinity Fox, who's just been awarded a scholarship from the University of Auckland. We'll hear from her soon, but Justine's report begins with Hukurere Old Girl and Deputy Principal Lelai Jackson Piercy. He uri tēnei o nga nai tūhoi, me nga nga te kahunganu. Um, ko ere peti tōku marae, ko ruaki turi te awa. Ko whakapunake te maunga, uh, ko Lilai Jackson, Piercy Ahau. Kia ora, Lilai. Um, what is your role within Hukarere Māori Girls School? Um, ko taku tino tūnga, ko hau te tumuaki tuarua. Uh, I'm the deputy principal here at Hukarere Girls College and I'm also the head of the Māori studies. I um, grew up in a little place um, called Rakituri, or Erepeti is our marae, and because we were way out in the country at that time, our father applied for scholarships for us to... Um, he wanted us to have a good education, so he looked at um, schools further afield than Wairoa. Uh, at the time, we had cousins going, coming to Hukarere Girls College and cousins going to Turikina, but uh, he chose for my sister and I to come to Hukarere Girls College. So that was back in the 70s. Uh, my sister and I came to Hukarere, and at the time, the hostel was open, but the school had already been closed. So we went over to Napier Girls High School every day for our education, but I always consider Hukarere as my my old college. So, Even though it was on, was it on Napier Girls... Um, property but you had your own separate area or own separate oh, no. um, well back then Hukarere Girls the, the Hukarere was on Napier Terrace That's, that was our whenua and then we walked over to Clyde Road over to where Napier Girls High School is now and then at the end of every day we returned back to Hukarere hmm. What was it like during your period of, of going through of, of attending Hukarere um, 
Well, I, I really enjoy it, enjoyed it. And would I do it again? Yes, I would. And would I send a child of mine here? Yes, I did. So, um, yeah, I, I loved it at Hukarere. I was at Hukarere for five years. And, and I'm very proud now to say that I'm an, a Hukarere old girl. When was the school opened? Hukarere was opened in 1875, so we're That's 135 fine. years old this year. But in 1910, um, unfortunately, a fire... Uh, you know, due to fire, the the, the buildings, um, the school was burnt down. No one was hurt, thank goodness. And in 1912, they moved to Napier Terrace. So so the school was closed in 1910. 1912 opened again. 1931, the earthquake. And in that year, the girls were sent up to an uh, Anglican orphanage in Auckland while the while Hukarere was being repaired. Yes. So, Yes, it's so, had this um, real staunch oh, up and down history. So it has had a very, that's why I said we're probably the most open, closed kura in the world. Um, 1931 and then 69, <clears throat> well, the Te Trust Board went up, said to the girls, that's it, we're, you know, we're closing Hukarere. So they went over to Napier Girls High School for the 23 years or whatever it was. Um, and then went into recess in 92, 93, opened her doors up again. And I think when Afina Waka started, 17 girls on the roll, when she, when she reopened in 91, 93. Yes, so, um, but in that 92 year, the, you know, obviously the senior seniors, so the six and seven formers, they didn't want to go to Teotihuacan or return to their own schools during that year of recess. So they actually did stay at Hukarere and they occupied a small part of the buildings and Betty Pragnall, who was up there at the time, she stayed with the girls. And so we've referred to them, I suppose, that period as the Ahika. So they kept Hukarere going and they continued going to school at Napier Girls High School. And, you know, there were ten, about ten families who struggled to um, help keep the school open, keep those girls going. You know, they'd come from the coast with trailer loads of kai, um, fundraise, you know, to bring money to the kura just to keep it open for that time while Hukarere was in recess. The real ground oh, work yes, stuff, so, street stuff, eh? Mm, so, you know, lots of, um, again, lots of aroha and passion for the school and to, passion to keep the school open. So, you know, we, we can't forget people like that, pe- you know, parents of that era. So not just... So with Afina Waka, she had a team of teachers, a team of parents, you know, a team of girls. So she had a, a group there, a team of old girls helping out and other people, not just old girls. Uh, there are, in total, there are 93 girls on the roll. When I first started at Hukarere, I think the roll was 25, and we would have been lucky to see 20 girls at school on any one given day back then in 1997. Um, so the roll has grown. There are, I think, there are more in the hostel now. Um, there would be about 53 in the hostel, so the other 43. Uh, 40 are in the school. So, When the mm. numbers were that critical at mm. 20, 25, mm. was the school in, in danger at Oh, any? yes. The Hukarere has always been in danger. Um, and I can remember a meeting that was held up at Hukarere. The Teotihuacan Trust Board came up. I can remember that day because it was very cloudy and it looked like it was going to rain and we already knew that the kaupapa wasn't going to... Well, it wasn't a very good one for Hukarere. You know, it could have been, by the end of the day, none of us would have had jobs, Hukarere was going to close. So it was one of those days. Um, but all credit to the to the principal. You know, he went to the meeting on our behalf and, thank goodness, by the end of the day we were still open. <laughs> Hukarere was still open. Um, because you may or may not know that Hukarere is the most opened and closed... I guess could in the whole world, not just New Zealand, but you know we've been open, closed, open, closed. The oh. end of 1969, the Teotihuacan Trust Board closed the school, and it was only, you know, so <clears throat> so for 23 years or whatever it was, Hukarere was a hostel, and we went to, to school somewhere else. And then in 1992, I think it was Afina Waka, who is also an old girl, Alison Bullock, um, they decided to put Hukarere into recess. And then our students went from there to Toto. That's how Toto became a, a coed, right back in 1992. So the girls went down to Toto for a year, with the understanding that after a year, Hukarere would, you know, be, be up back on her feet, yep. and then our students would return. So in 93, Hukarere reopened her doors again as a as a school, hostel, and a school, which was great. Um, started for with, Māori girls from, only. Aye. For, for our students. But, you know, a lot of hard work had to be done in that year by, as I say, Afina Waka, Alison Bullock, and a few other people, um, Kuni Jenkins, back in that time. And a lot of aroha was given to Hukarere um, by old girls, 
you know, to help Hukiriri stay open. Because there was no money. Again, there was, was no money. I was going to say, did, did it need aroha or, or putia? Well, both. Both. It, I think it operated a lot of the time on aroha. Afina Waka herself, she refused to call herself the principal. We all called her the principal, but she preferred to be called the director. Um, <laughs> you know, two years she worked at Hukiriri, and it was probably day, night, day, night, day, night. I don't know if she had any holidays, if she had even any weekends. But for two years, she worked at Hukirere for Aroha. Mm. And if not oh, for people way. like, yes, if not for people like her, you know, we would be. I don't if it know. It wasn't for the Aroha part mm, of it, mm, eh? Mm. That's just as important oh, as yes. Putia. Yes, and, yeah. and she struggled to find, you know, she was lucky in that teachers that she hired, she explained the situation to them. So they knew too that, you know, they, she wasn't sure whether they would be paid from week to week. Um, so they gave a lot to her. Not, I'm not just talking about Māori teachers, I'm talking about Pākehā teachers who did the same for her too because they just had that faith in her and I guess a belief in hukerere that helped them, you know, that helped them way back then. You know, we acknowledge the past, so to, which has helped us to move forward. Um, today we have 93 girls on our roll. Uh, we have done a marketing drive this year and we've had we've made a, an ad, you may have seen it on TV. Yep. It's now on mainstream TV. Oh, kapoi. Yes, um, and we have had, we have, I think we've had good enrolments since that ad was on Māori TV and then mainstream. Um, we've had girls who are, actually we've got a present student who is a, um, a White Sox softball player in the women's White Sox team. She's a 17-year-old now, she's in year 12. Um, she's looking good to be in the, to attend the next year's 2011 World Series over in South Africa. What's her name? Her name is Rita Hokianga. Um, she I'll just, write that name down. Yes, yeah, she received a merit award at the local um, secondary schools, Hooks Bay Secondary Schools um, Sports Awards. Uh, Kelly Aroha was another one up and coming softball, so she has also played in a development squad for Hukerere, um, last with Rita last year and the years before. We've had we've got a we've got another year twelve who is also, and her name is Dina Alshel Puketapu. She is a New Zealand under. Under, well, she's been in New Zealand under 13, under 15, under 17, under under 19 now, I think, um, age group basketball. And so she gives back to the girls. She helps coach our basketball teams. Rita helps and Kelly Aroha help with the softball. Um, we've got a girl who went away to, to paddle in, at the Worlds for New Zealand, for Wakaama this oh, year. Hi. Came back with a, a bronze medal. She might have come back with a gold too, I'm not sure. The thing about our girls is they're very... You've got to drag it out of them. Oh, so how well did you... Oh, no, no, we did all right. The reason I ask about the students, um, Lila, is that um, I'd like you to... Um, is because I talked to Trinity. Oh, yes. And... Very humble. It was quite... They're so humari, eh? Mm. They're just like... Mm. Yeah, yeah, I got this... I mean, you know, not that they've been mm. at all whakahihi mm. about it, but it's you get the perception that this is just how they are. Mm. They're just mm. humble girls. Mm. Very good. Um, you know, and with that too, they're, they're confident young women as well. Um, Quiet achievers, eh? Oh, yes. I'm not sure whether Trinity told you, though, that she was thinking of taking next year off because, you know, she was worried about mum and dad finances. So she was going to take a year off, get some money together and then go. But um, she, off her own back, applied for that scholarship, you know, and she can take all of that credit herself. But she applied, she got online, um, looked for the scholarships that she wanted to apply for. She did so. She put her application together by herself. And then she almost forgot about it <coughs> until yeah, she heard she that she didn't. actually got one. Mm. So, um, yeah, she was, you know, very, she's very focused. She's very, um, yeah, very humari. She doesn't take anything for granted. Um, and there was a time there where, you know, we weren't sure whether Trinity was going to be coming back. And th- thankfully she did. Mm. You know, and she's done very, very well ever since she came to Hukadiri. She's, academically, she's been right up there, you know, kaitunga noatu here third form, fourth form, you know, in her senior year. So she's indeed, and, and I think when I was interviewed for the local paper, I called her the ultimate student. She is the ultimate student. I saw student. that quote. She, she, you know, that's how we want all of our students to, you know, to, to achieve. We want them to do, and whatever they do, some are not academic, as academic as Trinity, but whatever they do, do it well, do it to the best of their ability and, and to realise too that they can do it. Justin Murray, Radio New Zealand National, Te Ahika, at Hukurere Māori uh, Girls' School here in the uh, Hawke's Bay area. And I'm um, here talking to Trinity Fox. Uh, kia ora, Hini. Kia ora. Ko te mea tuatahi me kōrero hia mai kō wai koe nō hia koe. Ah, kia ora, uh, ko Trinity Fox ahau, nō rua torea. Um, 
ko hikirangi te maunga, ko aiputeawa, ko ngāti porau te iwi. So, hukarere, why, why this particular uh, Māori girls' school? Well, I had the choice between St Joseph's and Hukarere, and I chose Hukarere because the vibe about Hukarere was just really welcoming, and I also, um, my family wanted me to learn a lot more about Māori tikanga and values as well. So, yeah, they just felt like Hukarere was right for me. And mum and dad are... Um, Queenie Tuhura and Vincent Fox, both from Rotorua, Ngātipuro. <laughs> how does um, being a part of this kura, how do you think that it would differ from, say, if you went to uh, mainstream, say, um, Gisborne Girls High School? Well, at Hukurere, the Fano values are really um, strong. Uh, we have a really tight-knit community as well in, in the school and outside of the school. So I think it's just more of a family-based school. Like, you can get along with anyone. You make huge um, networks all around New Zealand and it's just easier to um, adjust to as a young Māori girl. And so you began here, and I am old school, so I apologise, in third form, which is year nine. Yes, year nine. Year 13, 2010, five years. And five years as a as a as a border. Yep, five years, seven day border. Wow. <laughs> That's a whole long time. <laughs> <laughs> and so, when would you you'd go home during the holidays, Christmas? Yeah, holidays, Christmas, um, leave, leave weekends sometimes. <laughs> so, Did you yeah. feel a little bit isolated at all? How, I mean, how were those first couple of years for you? Here um, in the first couple of years, I didn't really get out that much because I don't really have Fano around the Hawks Bay and there, but. Um, kind of grew my friendships with the girls around school because we have day students as well at our school so got to go out and experience a bit more. So So Trinity, you are the recipient of an amazing scholarship, one of 44 scholarships, the University of Auckland Chancellor's Award. Can you tell me more about it? Um, The award is for top Māori and Pacific scholars all around New Zealand so anyone who is of Māori or Pacific descent can apply for it. It's worth up to $35,000 and it can cover the first year of accommodation and all your tuition fees and compulsory fees for the first three years of your study at Auckland University. And I did read a little bit of information about you. Um, (laughs) You put in an application. From what I read, you kind of didn't really expect. In fact, I think you (laughs) forgot about it. So tell me me what was that. To be honest, the night before I was actually chatting to my cousin on Facebook, (laughs) talking about both of us discussing uni, and then I was just wondering, well, if I don't get the scholarship, just reminding um, me about it, oh, well, I might have to just give up for a year and then go away and work to save up some money so my parents didn't have to pay so much for my university studies. For your fees. Yeah. And were you actually really, you were probably serious about that, weren't you? Yeah. You were saying, okay, gap year, but I won't go overseas, I'm going to go and get a job and and, and save up for your university fees. Yeah, that was true. I was really feeling like, oh, I don't know if I'll get the scholarship that's so big and there's probably um, a whole lot of people going for it, so... All around New Zealand, I was just just cautious about whether I should, you know, yeah. open to all the different options, just in case. <laughs> and so tell me about when you found out that you were going to be one of the 44 successful. My principal sent me down in the office and I was getting a bit scared because I thought I was in trouble. <laughs> and then she came in and said, congratulations, and I was still shocked I didn't know what she was talking about I was like Miss, what's going on and then she's like oh babe you got the scholarship I was like the Auckland one and she's like yeah you got it congratulations I'm like almost crying getting a bit teary yeah yeah what did your whanau think of when you told them Oh, they already knew because I had my address to Rotoria and then they got the letter and I had all these missed calls because I don't take my phone to school. Yes, yes. <laughs> and Good then girl. I got back to hostel, had the, um, checked my phone and there was about 10 missed calls. <laughs> all congratulations calls and everyone was just stoked that 
I'd gotten the scholarship. <laughs> what do you intend to do at university? Um, I'm doing uh, the Bachelor of Health Sciences for the first year and then hopefully I'll be able to get into medicine for the second year. So, yeah. Did your parents work hard to get you through this kura? Uh, yes, they had given up a lot. So, yep, and um, we got some scholarships through the church and everything. So, yeah, mm. it was a bit of a struggle at times. So, yeah. yeah. How would you describe your five, if you had to kind of think about, you know, your time spent here at Hukarere in five years? I mean, you've said that it's going to be sad as it would, seven day border. <laughs> you've practically lived here most or half of your life, a quarter of your life. You know, um, how has the experience been um, learning at the school? Yeah. Um, in one word, I'd say productive. Like, I've gained a lot of experience through all the opportunities that the school's given me. Um, just finally coming to the end and then achieving this kind of success with the award, it's just, like, really productive. You've gotten all that out of the five years I've spent at Hukarere. Can you tell me about the, um, you know... Obviously, you're making friends here. You've made friends here for life. You know, what is it like for Māori girl, young Māori girl, to, to learn here at Hukarere and the, the, the friendships and the bonds that you create? Well, as you say, it is a friendship for life. It's like we're just a huge sisterhood. Even throughout the entire school, from juniors to seniors, we've got all those bonds, and it's just amazing that you can make friends amongst other Māori from all around New Zealand. Trinity Fox, and I think um, Trinity, if it's okay with you, we're going to take a little bit of a, a, a tour because it's Sunday, and what's Sunday? Cle- cleaning day. <laughs> yeah, what are the girls doing? Um, all the girls are just cleaning the hostel so thoroughly. We've got Modi TV coming in as well. So. <laughs> okay, so um, on further note, we're going to take a little bit of a tour of uh, Hukarere Māori Girls School here in uh, Eskdale, uh, Hawke's Bay. No, this is like the main hub of Hukuriri Hostel. Everyone congregates in here, all the girls just like to quad. relax and yeah, our quad. <laughs> <laughs> so this is mainly where the juniors and year 11s stay. So around the quad area are, are rooms. There's um, about five rooms and then one block for the year 11s. The five rooms are for year 9 and 10 students. There's about um, eight girls in each room for the year 9s and then six in each room for the year 10s. So Trinity, I'm keen to know where, um, where, where your hostel is and where your room is for the last, has been for the last five years. In year 9? Well, from my year 9 to now, our hostel has been refurbished a bit so we had eight bunks in this one room in year nine yes so there's eight girls in here and so many lockers all around the walls and I shared that room for a whole year with seven other girls do you guys argue over room space or you just know there was a bit of a (laughs) there was a few disputes over the year (laughs) But I think we got along yep. as best we could. Yeah, yeah, as you do when you're living so communally. Yeah. Okay, so should we take a, a walk down here, this area? Yeah. Yeah, so these are the dormitory areas. And um, so basically, how many how many dorms are there? Um, all up, there's five dorms for the juniors. And then for the year 11s, there's four as well, um, they have smaller. Oh, they have bigger rooms with less girls. So, as you progress through the years, you get less girls in your room and more space. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, um, can we take can we take a look in the um, where the kai's prepared area? Kia ora, Walter. Justin Murray from Radio New Zealand. <laughs> Just doing an interview with Trinity, she's taking me a tour on the, of, the, of the kura. Uh, we are in the kitchen, which is another favourite place of the Hokuriri girls. <laughs> <laughs> any, any midnight uh, break-ins into the kitchen that you can share with me? To sneak a bit well, more fruit salad? 
I'll say one story in year nine, we all got in trouble, our whole form, for selling the ice cream, a big three litre box. <laughs> three litre, jeez. <laughs> but this And where did you eat it? I'm interested to know. So you grabbed the ice cream and where did you eat it? We all grabbed a whole lot of spoons and we just hid out in our room and tried to chug it all down before the matrons found out it was even missing. And so did they come and did you have like strawberry dribble on your mouth or anything like that? <laughs> um, we tried to dispose of it in the rubbish bins, but yeah, we were called out. So, so where's Walter? Maybe Walter could have a talk to me. So in the, we're in the kitchen of uh, Hukurere Māori Girls' School. Walter! Walter! <laughs> okay, so um, I'm here. We're, we're just in the kitchen taking a tour of Hukurere Māori Girls' College here in the Hawke's Bay. And um, I'm Walter. Yeah. Whereabouts are you from, Walter? Yes, I'm from Uruguay, South America. America? South America. South America. South America, South America. So, Walter, you are the resident chef? Uh, yes. 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 And how long have you been? Uh, six years working in Hugarere College. Six years? Yes, yeah. Long time. That's a long time. But solo, or what, do you get help? No, no. Okay, so, Walter, tell me, um, you know, what's a, what's a typical menu that you could probably Oh, the describe? typical menu, the menu is the meat, vegetables, um, fruit, tobat fruit, water, um, fish, something fish. Fish? Yes. Do you access the local produce in the Hawke's Bay area? Yeah, yeah, I buy all stuff in Hawke's Bay. So in terms of a weekly menu, or in terms of the menu? Yeah, yeah, you have them there. Oh, yes, he's got his little uh, pin board up there and the, all the you menus. Have, yeah, all menu there, all week. Yeah. So today's Sunday. Yeah. Um, what are you preparing for the girls today? Yes, roast pork, ambitious, <laughs> big driving. Yum. <laughs> and oh, Trinity just shared a story with me about when they were little, uh, when the, sorry, when they were year nine and they snuck into the kitchen and grabbed the yeah. three little ice cream. Can you, can you think of any funny stories where you've come into the kitchen and think, oh, I'm sure I had a whole <laughs> chicken soup. <laughs> you know, it's before the, the freezer. It's free. It's no locker. It's, it's all stuff for the week in, this, in the freezer. In the freezer. Because uh, sometimes in the night, some people come in for ice cream, <laughs> Nutella. Nutella. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Nutella. Yeah, and chocolate drink, too. <laughs> well, Tol, I know you're busy. Uh, yeah. like, I'll let you get back to it. Thank you. Oh, thank you very much, you. Yeah, so there's Walter, the resident chef here at Hukarere. And what's, what's your favourite favorite meal that, you've, um, that you can think of that you've enjoyed here at Hukarere? Well, it's a mix between the butter chicken meals that Walter makes and his homemade lasagna. It was so good. Yeah, <laughs> gonna miss the kind. Yep, I'm looking forward to seeing what university has to offer. I'll have to call Walter and tell him. <laughs> <laughs> Kia ora, Trinity Fox taking Justine on a tour of Hukurere Girls College. Earlier, we heard from Leli Jackson Pearcey, Deputy Principal of the Māori School in Hawkes Bay. This is Tiahika on Radio New Zealand National. For pictures and links about today's show or to download the podcast, uh, you can head to our webpage, radionz.co.nz forward slash teahika. Over the years, kaitahu or naitahu iwi has become something of a powerhouse within the Māori world. You certainly see and feel their presence within Te Waipounamu, the South Island. Every year, one of their 34 pā play host to the annual hui a iwi. That's the annual hui, at which tribal members from all over meet to discuss the issues which they have in common. This year, it was the turn of Pukiteraki Marae e Karitani near Dunedin. Akiora. Ko Suzanne Allison Tokoingwa no um, Karitane aho Kaitahu Katimamoi Waitaha me Tiatiawa Taranaki Okuiwi Tinaita Mihiki Akoto. Kia ora, Suzanne. Now we often associate, you know, Huiatau or general annual general meetings with um, people people coming together, sharing the operations, sharing the the annual reports financially. Is this the case with the Huiatau uh, this year? It's the primary reason, I guess, for gathering, apart from Fanokataka, which uh, is, I guess, the other sort of paramount reason for coming together on an, as an iwi on an annual basis. 
Haritani is a village, I think our census population is about 270 people or 73, something like that. And um, we were on the coast just north of Dunedin, so sort of in the Tutai or Arai Tiuru, so sort of the coastline for us, um, very much part of, uh, in the heart of Otago, um, or reaching into those inland areas. But uh, we have been preparing our community and ourselves for um, our iwi to take over the village. It's, a, I guess, a, a temporary current-day occupation of about 800 to 1,000 uh, gathering. So let's, um, branching on from that, Suzanne, what's, how do you cater for such a aropu? Well, we, um, we had to think really hard about how we could do it because our, our marae site's on the side of a hill, so we're not having the hui at the marae. It was just logistically too difficult. Um, we decided we'd come back into the village into um, sort of traditional sites here where we used, you know, were pre-contact times. So we're very, the main hui is taking um, place um, at the river near on our um, marae, our runanga, no, that's wrong, sorry, our tri- one of the tribal reserves uh, at the foreshore. And so the main corridor's down there, and that's very near an old kaika, um, just right up beside an old kaika site down there, a Kapapakainga area. And um, then in Karetani itself, we have a, about two minutes walk away. Um, we have a base as well that our runanga operates from. So we've split our hui between um, the kōrero down on the foreshore and then the kai um, in our runanga area. So it's got marquees all over the place. You would have attended previous huiato? I think I might be a, um, Season. a seasoned <laughs> huiato attendee. Yeah. What kinds of issues have been discussed and what has resulted, like what has come out of um, previous huiato? Well, the, I think um, the nature of the hui have changed over the years. Um, you know, back in, um, before we had a, a, the settlement, it was uh, talking about the big issues were the, the claim, the, um, how that was going, and also some major cultural issues around, say, koiwi tangata. And that, that led in those early days, saying early, you know, 20 or so years ago, to policies on, on things that were important, very important to us still, but at those times they were quite groundbreaking about um, return of koiwi tangata, how we were going to manage you know, our relationships with other iwi and things like that. And by that you mean bones, Aye. human Aye. remains? Yeah, human remains un, but unidentified that within our iwi, uh, our area, and also what we, our, what our expectations for koiwi that had travelled from our, our place. So that, that was the sort of all then. Um, I think now it's this focus is very much on what's happening with Te Ngaitahu. It's the chance for our 18 um, representatives on Te Runanga to say, this is why we're doing the things we are. And here's our um, heads of our holding corporation and, and Te Ngaitahu, our chief executive officer and, and these are, you know, so it's really is about accountability and how well we're doing, and um, the strategic decisions they're taking. That so people are very um, they're questioning and they want to know, and there's a lot of information shared. And it's um, the decisions. It's uh, the important decisions are guidance is given, but I guess uh, tribally through our structure, Te Runanga Ngaitahu is there to listen, and then they make. You know, so if there's any forestry decisions to be made, it's really made at the Te Runangongaitahu table, but they're guided by and they've got to account back to the people at the hui atau. Yeah, because I'm just trying to figure, and I'm just trying to paint a picture in my mind, uh, uh, Suzanne, while you're, what you're explaining. So Te Runanga or, te runanga or Kaitahu, or Ngaitahu, um, basically sits within these hui atau, and an issue that you've just mentioned about koiwi tangata remains. Are these discussing as basically discussing in a wānanga type of forum with all the runanga representatives about how, say, for example, koi, we are in particular areas in the South Island or even overseas, how they, how you resolve those issues. Yeah, if the issue arises about in relation to, say, koi, we tangata, that is of uh, tribal significance as opposed to being 
something that could be handled by the um, mana whenua of an area. Um, so they'll look at the policy and say, hey, we need to change our tribal stance on this. This is, it worked in um, 1993 when we adopted it, but perhaps because of these circumstances, we need as a as a people, as an iwi, to um, move to another, to to rethink that, and, and this is what we recommend. That would be the sort of thing that could ha- would happen at a hui toe. And, and that's really important, isn't it, Suzanne, that at the end of the day, even though you are all kaitahu, you have your own mana whenua Aye. and your own rohe. Yeah, so, the, so those things aren't easily... Um, those agreements aren't lightly gone into by by the um, by the papatipu, by you know the hokaika, the various areas. They they, they are so try and and agreeing on what a tribal positions uh, are carefully worked through. So do you does that mean that you make tribal decisions on everything? Tribal decision making for Ngaitahu is is. Um, really happens around the Terunanga or Ngaitahu table um, and within the um, structures and the forum that we've created under as a part of result of our settlement and our Ngaitahu legal identity. So the huiatau has a, its importance is really about accountability and bringing people on board and forming and getting guidance for new direction too. Um, so the people can guide... Um, but Terunanga takes those decisions itself, and if um, the iwi don't like their decisions, then they're accountable through the electoral um, systems that are at, through the Papatipurunanga and and, um, and also just at, at hui, every tui when they stand up. So um, the system for decision-making is really at Terunanga or Ngaitahu as opposed to the hui atau itself. So other things that happen there is there's wānanga um, tents and debates. There's an artist forum. There's, um, the wānanga, some of the wānanga topics are about um, te reo. Yep. Um, reporting on um, Ngaitahu Fund, what's happening. Suzanne, can you tell us about the um, the what the Ngaitahu Fund is? Yeah, sure. Actually, um, I should say I'm... I'm You're newly appointed, I yeah, see, yeah, from I my notes. Yeah, I have responsibility in Ngaitahu Fund. As a new uh, a new member there of the board, um, it's it's a fantastic um, source of cultural support from uh, Ngaitahu, both individuals and our marae and runanga. Um, to one is to sometimes to capture uh, knowledge that could be passing, slipping from our um, our lives as our kaimātua pass away. Um, so it's to bring keep current. Some of the information that's important to every iwi. So then you would give a a, a putia or allocate some money to. Oh, yeah, for all sorts of projects that oh. are of a historical nature, say, and uh, in support of that sort of co-papa, and then others things are for um, the support. Of, we've some lovely projects happen with Marae who are. We've been in the position of being able to um, build new um, fari and fari noi. So for the, um, the, not for the structures themselves, but for the carvings or the tukutuku uh, in support of those aspects of um, marae restoration or rebuilding, um, the Ngaitahu Fund's been really important for that. Kia ora, ko hekaroro te mauka, ko waikwaiti te awa, ko pukaturaki te marae, ko huirapa, te whare tūpuna, rāwa ko maririhau, te whare kai. Ko kaitahu kāti māmoi, me waitahu oku iwi, ko karitāne te kaika tūturu. Ko Suzanne Allison ahau, tēnā tātou, tēnā koutou katoa. And no doubt the hapu of Puke te raki are cleaning up after the kaitahu huia iwi finished up today. Kia ora, Suzanne Allison. If you'd like to know more about this year's Hui Atou, check out our webpage radionz.co.nz forward slash teahika. The year's slowly coming to a close with only four more shows left. Do let us know what you're up to. Head to our Facebook whānau ma, click like us, and you'll see our weekly updates about what's coming up. And you can leave us a comment, whether it's feedback about our shows or a friendly kia ora. Tēnā me tukua mai o kōrero ki taua whārangi. 
leave us a comment on the page. Speaking of things coming up, Maria is up next week with our final Whakatefatefa, our in-depth documentary series. Ai, etiketara that's right, I'll be looking at leadership, or what makes a good leader, who are the voices, or should I say undercover voices within our Māori community. Hmm, I'm guessing you're talking about the Iwi Leaders Group. Well, that's how Ngāti Pikiao lawyer Annette Sykes describes them. Dean Hapita Te Kupu also focuses on who has led the way for Māori music today. Aneira Alilai Jackson Piercy, who we heard from earlier in the show with this week's Fakatoki. Kauuki te pai, cleave to that which is good. Take hold of all opportunities that are that are in front of you. Um, believe in yourself and, and make those good choices for yourselves. Tenakui. He uri te nei o na nai tuhoi me nai. Uh, Mauri ora tātou katoa.